Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, the opinions that are offered on this show are not the opinions of Howard County Community College. And insofar as we talk about legal issues, it is not intended to provide legal advice. If you have a legal problem, it is imperative that you contact a lawyer and discuss the individual facts of your case with them. I'm pleased to note that we have a returning guest today, Alan W. Steinhorn. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, Bob. As always, it's a pleasure to be here with you today on the Howard Community College campus. There you go. So we're going to diverge a little bit from some of the recent discussions. We recently had the Honorable Lynn Battaglia on, uh, former U.S. Attorney of Maryland and longtime member of the highest court in Maryland, the Court of Appeals. And before her, we had Kim Oldham, Deputy Howard County State's Attorney and impending candidate for the state's attorney's office. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the law in the news. And I know there's some topics that interest you that are legal news. And what did you want to kick around today, Alan? Well, there's a lot of fascinating things going on in politics. We've got an election for the Senate seat vacated by William Jefferson Sessions that's going on today. And it's fascinating because it's in a state, Alabama, that's about as red as you can get. And because of the allegations that have surfaced against Judge Moore, this case or this election is a toss up. Interesting. And that election is taking place today, correct? Right now, as we speak, the good people of Alabama, about 25% of the registered voters, are going to the polls to vote. So why is it that 25% are going instead of 100% down there? It seems to me this is an election that has garnered the attention of media everywhere. Well, you know, it's ironic that we have a country where people have died for the right to vote, and yet each election, it seems that very few people vote in relation to how many people are registered voters. This election is occurring on a Tuesday without any other offices being available. This is a special election. So if you're going out to vote today, it is to vote for this one Senate race. And many people cannot take time off to go vote. They have not as many polling places, and they're just people that feel frustrated, I think, and think they can't effectuate change with their vote, and they stay home and don't vote. It's a very sad thing about politics, and I would urge every one of our listeners, whenever there is election, please go vote. In particular, primaries. Many people don't go and vote in primaries. But in the primary, your party actually selects the candidate that is going to be in the election. So you can have a lot of input in the primaries, but people, unfortunately, don't take the time to vote. So any legal thoughts with regard to this election in Alabama? Uh, fascinating legal thought. One is the fact that the person who is running from the Republican ticket, Roy Moore. And that's the beloved Judge Roy Moore. That's correct. Judge Moore has a distinction that I don't believe any other person in this country has. Judge Moore has been kicked out of office twice. And when I say office, perhaps I should say his chambers, because he was a judge that the Supreme Court of Alabama kicked off the bench for violating the Constitution. He then ran for election and was elected to the bench a second time. And, and gosh, the bench meaning the Supreme Court of Alabama again. That's Well, that's correct. So uh, I believe he was on the trial bench. I'm pretty sure that he was actually on the Supreme Court of Alabama both times he got removed. Well, I don't know of any other judge in the United States that's twice been removed for violating the Constitution. And what I find fascinating is the irony of him campaigning on 
he being the only candidate that will enforce the Constitution. He has twice been removed from the bench as a sitting judge for violating the Constitution. The first time he was removed, very interesting legal question, he placed a monument of the Ten Commandments in his courthouse. And I don't know whether it was the ACLU or another progressive group filed a lawsuit saying this is an impermissible mixing of religion and state because it was in a state government building. And the uh, Supreme Court agreed that this was a violation of the Constitution and ordered Judge Moore to remove the Ten Commandments. And I believe Judge Moore said God's law is higher than man's law. And he refused to remove the monument. He was removed from the bench. Very unusual situation to have a judge say, I will not do what the judges above me say must be done. He then ran for election. And in Maryland, we also have elections for judges. And that might be a good topic for another day as to whether it's wise to have elections for judges when those elections need money. Those contributions have to come from somewhere. And do the judges become indebted to the people that are contributing to them? And do the judges then have to campaign for contributions, which then perhaps affects their impartiality or at least the appearance of their impartiality? Regardless of that topic... Judge Moore ran for election, and the good people of Alabama elected him again to be a judge in Alabama. The United States Supreme Court a few years ago was uh, presented with the issue of whether or not same-sex marriage was protected by the Constitution. And I'm sure all of your listeners know that the Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriage is protected by the Constitution. After the Supreme Court ruled that, and for those of you in the audience who don't understand this point, when the Supreme Court makes a ruling like that— When we're it, talking about the United States Supreme Court. That's right. Let's be clear that— there are state Supreme Courts that are the highest court in those individual states. That's correct. But the United States Supreme Court is the overarching tip top of the, the legal pyramid. The law of the land. So anytime there is a conflict or a uh, an issue as to what the Constitution means, it will go through the courts. And the highest court in the land, the United States Supreme Court, pronounces the law on that topic. So this is a very highly contested issue, particularly amongst the evangelicals who believe the Bible forbids it. So when the Supreme Court said the law of the land of the United States is that same-sex uh, marriages are legal, Judge Moore again reiterated his belief that the Bible is more important than man's law. And he instructed his clerks in the Alabama courthouses to refuse to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Now, I know your audience are not all law school educated, but when the Supreme Court of the United States says this is the law, lower courts can't say, well, I prefer my biblical teachings. We have a separation of church and state in this country. So when Judge Moore refused to allow same-sex marriages, which were now legal in the United States, he was again removed from the bench for violating the Constitution. Now, if you follow politics, you'll see that Judge Moore is proclaiming himself the only constitutional candidate and has been saying that his opponent, Doug Jones, is soft on crime and won't enforce the Constitution. Quite an ironic position when Doug Jones was the U.S. attorney who obtained convictions of the men who bombed the church in 1963 that killed three girls uh, in a racist attack. So all of this campaigning really needs information uh, on behalf of the electorate to understand what's really happening. So if I could summarize, it sounds as though Judge Roy Moore is the candidate who proclaims himself to be adhering to the Constitution while not adhering to the Constitution. And his opponent is a person who has adhered to the law and, in fact, has brought about some very important 
uh, societally healing convictions associated with racist incidents in the past, and yet he's somehow soft on things. Is that a gist yes. at all? For a U.S. attorney who obtained convictions in a 45-year-old case to be accused of being soft on crime is quite ironic. And this leads into and perhaps segues into another topic, which is what the heck is going on in our politics? I am of an age that when a politician told a bald-faced lie, his career was basically over. And we now live in a time where, apparently, politicians can tell lies without any ramifications. And one of the ways they are doing it is by claiming that those who report the lies they pronounce are actually misleading the public by quoting them accurately. So do you think that this phenomenon is gaining traction in our society? And if so, why? It is because we have a president who says things that are demonstrably false. And I know that this is a very sensitive subject because so many people support our president and I support the office of the president. But it started on Inauguration Day, January 20th, 2017, when Sean Spicer, the spokesman for the president, pronounced that the president uh, spoke before the largest crowd in the history of inaugurations. And the press challenged him on that since there were photographs that showed much less people at President Trump's inauguration than at prior inaugurations. And that led to the very famous quote by Kellyanne Conway that Sean Spicer was using. And Kellyanne Conway is whom? Kellyanne Conway is a consultant to the president who was very active in the campaign and then was appointed a position in in the administration. But the famous quote was that Sean Spicer was simply using, quote, alternative facts. And that is a term that has been ridiculed and yet has also gained traction with some people who would like to say, whatever the administration says, I believe. And we should all question authority and administrations while at the same time complying with all laws. It does seem like alternative facts are sort of anathema to the legal system where we have the the blind justice with the scales and the search for truth and that kind of thing. It's a very it's very difficult for me to see this. I was um, very interested in the Watergate incident, which refers to President Nixon's downfall and the break in at the Watergate headquarters where five, I guess we would call them felons now. They were all convicted, broke into the plumbers, the plumbers. They broke into the Democratic National Headquarters. Very similar to the Russians hacking the Democratic National Committee and John Podesta's emails. The difference is. In 2016, it was done electronically. In 1972, it was done with a pick and a break-in with recording equipment. But the idea was the same, to steal information from the Democratic National Headquarters. The thieves were dressed in suits. They had thousands of dollars in cash and sequentially numbered $100 bills. There are very few people that break into offices and stores wearing impeccably dressed or, or in impeccably dressed suits with thousands of dollars in cash. They also had sophisticated electronic equipment. So when they were arrested, it was quite confusing as to what they were doing there. Ultimately, that arrest led about two years later to the resignation of Richard Nixon as president of the United States, but only after it was discovered that he had tape recordings of conversations in his office, which proved the things that President Nixon had been saying for a year and a half were all lies. 
And we now have a similar situation, although it's much more dicey. We do have recordings of what uh, the president's people, President Trump's people did, both before the campaign and after the campaign, through wiretaps that were placed on Russian nationals who our country monitors. There were FISA warrants obtained when it turned out that people, um, United States citizens, were communicating with Russians in a way that alarmed the FBI and the CIA. So there are recordings, but the problem is that to uh, reveal those recordings would give up secret intelligence gathering abilities that our government has, and we don't want to give that up. Additionally, there are reports that our friends were alarmed, our allies. The British, apparently the Dutch, all have recordings of the Russians speaking to Americans who were involved with the Trump campaign. We don't know what those tapes say, but there is a special prosecutor named Robert Mueller, and it is believed that he has these tapes. He has already secured two guilty pleas arising from his investigation of- From whom? Well, he obtained a guilty plea from George Papadopoulos, who was a Trump campaign advisor, and he was identified by President Trump as one of his five national security advisors. There is a photograph that President Trump tweeted out that shows Mr. Papadopoulos in a meeting with uh, William Sessions and about four or five other people where President Trump is, is present. You mean Jeff Sessions? Yes, William Jefferson Sessions. He is our attorney general from the state of Alabama, and that ties back to what I was speaking about earlier. That is the seat being sought by uh, Judge Roy Moore and Doug Jones, the Democrat. There was all these indications that George Papadopoulos was an important figure in the Trump administration. However, once he pleaded guilty, uh, the Trump administration said he was just the coffee boy, that all he did was gather coffee. I predict- that could be an important role in some offices, though. Well, in, in my office, it would be an important role. Um, but to be serious and not sarcastic, I believe that in the next six to 12 months, there will be explosions unlike any scene in this country of information that uh, Special Prosecutor Mueller has about activities conducted by the Trump campaign and subsequent that will be revealed in the coming months that could create a constitutional crisis in this country. And I don't say that lightly. That doesn't sound like such a good thing. Nice segue, wasn't it, Bob? Yeah. Well, I believe that if what I've been reading, and and I, I don't know how much of it is accurate, that there may be tape recordings of members of the Trump administration conversing with Russians about sanctions, the removal of sanctions instituted by President Obama, and financial dealings with Russian involvement involving perhaps tens of billions of dollars for the construction of nuclear reactors in the Middle East. There are a variety of financial, I don't know how to describe them, happenstances, financial dealings that have been pursued by General Flynn, who was the national security advisor who was fired after about 20 days on the job. Trump's national security advisor. Yes, as well as other people associated with the Trump administration to seek financial dealings that would benefit them. I believe some of this stems from the fact that no one that was working for the Trump, um, Trump campaign thought he would win. And they were trying to position themselves for after the election, financial benefits, financial deals that they would benefit from after the election. Then when they won, they had made contacts with Russians and other people across the world to do financial investments that now would be conflicts of interest for anyone in the presidential administration. So just to kind of summarize where things are briefly, as I understand it, there's been a couple of people who were charged with substantial crimes. Paul Manafort, who was the president's campaign manager, contemporaneously with the Republican convention, and his partner, Rick Gates, 
And then there's Mr. Papadopoulos, who you mentioned earlier. And let's not forget the most important role player right now. And who's that? General Michael Flynn. Okay. So who's General Michael Flynn, and what did he plead guilty to, and what does it mean? General Flynn is a highly decorated general who was considered uh, several years ago to be perhaps one of the greatest military intelligence minds of our generation. He was actually a, a working for President Obama, right? Yes. And his contributions to the war on terrorism in Afghanistan and Iraq cannot be understated. He was appointed the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency by President Obama in 2014, I believe. And within a year, he was discharged by President Obama. His running of the Defense Intelligence Agency was not done well. And there are reports of him engaging in conspiracy theories and various things that perhaps when he was at the intelligence level would be interesting to explore, but as the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency was quite strange. Okay. In fact, he was tweeting and his son was tweeting that the Democrats were, and this was after he left the Defense Intelligence Agency, conducting a child sex ring out of a pizza parlor Comet Ping Pong in Northwest Washington. And in fact, many of you may have heard about the gentleman from North Carolina who was so incensed that the Democrats were uh, sexually abusing children in the basement of this pizza parlor that he came up from North Carolina armed with weapons, broke into the pizza parlor, demanded to see the basement so he could free the child sex slaves, and discovered there was no basement. I think he discharged his weapon in Comet Ping Pong, too, didn't he? He walked into Comet Ping Pong, fired his rifle into the ceiling, and announced to everyone that he was there to free the child sex slaves and everybody should gather in a corner while he went in the basement. There was no basement. There was no child sex slave. And yet millions of people believed this false story. So this sort of harkens back to what you were saying earlier about truth being... Truth is becoming harder to ascertain. And it is a deliberate intent by one political party, if not just one politician, to make people confused about what's really happening. Let's say I commit a crime and I'm in government. If I can convince the public who is investigating me, as Richard Nixon tried to do in 1972 and 1973 sure. when he attacked the Washington Post, if you can attack the messenger and if you can make people believe that the messenger may be lying to you, then who's to say whether the president's telling the truth or not? So when reports come out that say that the president has been cultivated by Russians for the last five years, beginning when he went to Russia in 2013 for the Miss Universe pageant, and when there are people claiming that the president has taken actions that would harm our country in order to benefit himself financially, when there are people saying that the Russian government has compromised, that is compromising material that would embarrass, if not imprison, President Trump, and they're using that to blackmail him. If you can convince, if you're President Trump and you can convince the public that the Washington Post and the New York Times are out to get him and that they will publish false news to get him, then people will question what they read in the reports. That is what is happening right now. The man who went to Comet Pizza believed these stories that there was a, spy, a child sex ring run by Democrats. Now, think about that for a moment, ladies and gentlemen. It's publicly being reported there's a child sex ring in a pizza parlor that Democrats take care of. It's incredible for me to believe that people believed it, but they did. This was a story that was passed passed along on Twitter by General Flynn and his son after they were discharged by President Obama. Um, Why do you think they did that? I, I, I really have no idea other than I believe they believed these 
false stories. So if you have false stories planted in the media, at a certain point, people are going to say, I don't know what to believe anymore. So if you are a president that has potentially committed conspiracy with a foreign government, a hostile foreign government, to win the election in exchange for giving the Russians benefits. And by the way, what Michael Flynn told Ambassador Kislyak, the Russian ambassador that got him in so much trouble and that was recorded on a uh, wiretap of the Russian ambassador, is that President Trump was going to undo the sanctions that President Obama had done for the interference in our election by the Russians. Uh, General Flynn told Ambassador Kislyak this the day the sanctions were enacted. So we have recordings of that. Now, President Trump is telling the public that this is all a lie. So if the public doesn't believe what's being reported, President Trump's misdeeds, if there are any, may be overlooked by the public who don't believe the media reporting it. I mean, I would think from a historical standpoint that you have a situation with a special prosecutor and there's precedent, you know, Bill Clinton was subject to such a thing as that, and and President Reagan with trading the arms hostages and all that stuff. And ultimately, those investigations produce reports that are detailed and highly factually based. And I think, for the most part, the public in those eras accepted those as being truth. We have become tribal in this country. I think we've always been tribal, but go ahead. I, I think it's more pronounced than ever before. Okay. And once someone takes a side, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, they will support their tribe, regardless of the information that comes forward. I mean, I would think in the ultimate situation, it's not really good if you're a Republican, for example, and it turns out that some of Trump's advisors have done things that are illegal. It would seem to me you'd be better off going along, you know, getting rid of the bad people and enabling the good people to rise to the top. Unless it comes from the top. Okay. So let's go down this road just a little bit for for interest's sake. And that is, let's assume that some of the things that you've suggested are true, that somehow they've got some compromising material on the president, or the president has gained economic benefits from his relationship with Russia, or will gain benefits and that sort of thing. So what? Well, that's called bribery. Okay. And we have a hostile foreign country influencing what our government does in exchange for financial award or because of blackmail. So is that illegal? It's bordering on treason, except for the fact that we are not engaged in hostilities with Russia. So the definition of treason is helping the enemy. Arguably, that's not present. At a time of war. But do we really want our government governed by Vladimir Putin and Russia's interest? I mean, I could spend another half hour telling you things that our president has done that favors Russia and not the United States, and one wonders why. Okay. So what's illegal about what is alleged the president has done? That's what I'm trying to get at. Well, the first thing would be the Logan Act, which prohibits people who are not in government from negotiating with foreign countries. What makes this more complicated is this was the transition team. But we can't have a president, President Obama, punishing a country for hostile acts, which in my opinion, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, but this is my opinion, this is no different than war. I believe our country was attacked by the Russians. Well, they subverted the election. I think all of that's going to come out in the next six to 12 months. But we can't have a government that we don't know whether it's being run by a hostile power or by someone who's doing what's best for our country. Our president swears an oath to enforce the Constitution, to do everything in his power to advance the rights of American citizens. And the things that are happening in this country, the withdrawal from uh, NATO, the statement that we're not going to step forward and defend countries in Europe, many of the things that he's done, if you view it in a vacuum, would seem to favor Russia, not the United States. Okay. 
Okay, so let's assume that there are some things that have gone awry on the president's part, legally wrong. What can be done about it? Well, the framers of the Constitution gave us the way out, and that would be impeachment. If the president commits high crimes or misdemeanors, and those are not legally defined terms, that's whatever Congress decides, he can be removed from office. The first example of things that seemed to skew to me was uh, a year ago in the summer when it was uh, revealed that the Republican National Committee removed a plank from their platform that used to allow or favor giving weapons to Ukraine to fight uh, Russians that were invading from the east or from the rebels. That and, were- and let's just summarize that Russia essentially invaded the sovereign nation of the Ukraine, took over the Crimean Peninsula because they wanted it, and that was that. Yes. So there was a plank in the, in the Republican platform that said, we, we support giving weapons to Ukraine to fight these rebels who in all instances seem to be Russians that were in, not in uniforms that identify them as Russian army people. So that plank was removed from the Republican uh, platform. And the question becomes, why? Why would you remove a plank that supports Ukraine in its fight against Russia? It now appears that uh, Paul Manafort and President Trump may have been involved in that change. And And Paul Manafort, the campaign manager who is alleged to have been paid $17 million by pro-Russian forces in the Ukraine, correct? Correct. And that's when President Trump let his campaign manager go, when secret ledgers were discovered. And I believe it was $12 million in one instance, maybe $5 million from another source, where Paul Manafort had entered into a contract with the pro-Russian Ukrainian government to pursue Russians' interests in the United States. That is to make the United States politicians and public view Russia more favorably. This is dangerous. I mean, it's very easy in today's climate to say, hey, Russia is our buddy. This is great. But Russia is doing things around the world that harm United States interests, such as Syria. President Trump said, well, we'll let Russia fight ISIS. But that's not what's happened. What Russia did is it supported uh, President Assad, who was murdering and gassing tens of thousands of his own people. So, the, And working in conjunction with Iran and Hezbollah and doing so. Uh, the Russians are not our friends. They are trying to do things to destabilize the United States power across the country. And quite frankly, since President Trump has been elected, if you study what he's done, he has weakened the United States' role in the United States. He has cut 35% of the State Department budget. Well, what is the State Department? Our diplomats are what are between us and war. We can solve disputes with other countries diplomatically, or we can just bomb each other. Well, diplomacy has prevented any war in the last 50, 60 years in Europe, and now we are eliminating our diplomats. Uh, What's happening in the State Department is very confusing. It's the most important thing we can have to prevent future wars, and we are debilitating our State Department. So we only have a short amount of time, and I understand your view that perhaps the president has done some things that are legally impermissible, are bad for the United States, and are helpful for Russia— So they impeach him. Why can't he simply pardon everybody who would otherwise testify against him? Well, it is a concern of many people in government that are investigating this that he will pardon people. What's fascinating about that is if he pardons these people, it's a double-edged sword. How's that? 
Well, now those people that have been pardoned have no Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. In other words, you can't be forced to testify against yourself under the United States Constitution. Correct. So whenever these charges are made that you negotiated with Russia, you did this, you did that, you had a financial deal where you were going to get 19% of the Russian gas company in exchange for things that the United States would do, such as lessening the sanctions that Obama instituted. Well, if the president pardons the people that were involved and the special prosecutor calls them to testify before a grand jury or in court, they have to speak about what they did. And if they refuse to do so, it's contempt of court. They go to jail. So they no longer have the privilege against self-incrimination. They have to testify about what happened. They have to testify truthfully or they'll be uh, charged with perjury. So it's sort of a situation where if he pardons them, they don't go to jail, but they are obliged to testify, whereas if they... He doesn't pardon them. They kind of hang out there, but they are not obliged to testify and provide evidence against him. Correct. Right now, Paul Manafort and um, Mr. Gates, his assistant, have both refused to uh, t testify truthfully to the special prosecutor. And they're facing, I believe, Mr. Manafort's charges total up 80 years in jail. Mr. Papadopoulos and Mr. Flynn, who likewise committed allegedly committed various felonies. Uh, Mr. Flynn could have been charged with a lot of felonies. Um, he was charged with one count of lying to Congress. It is likely that General... Lying to the FBI, right? Or lying to the FBI. My apologies. You're correct. Um, it is likely that General Flynn is cooperating with, um, with Special Prosecutor Mueller to a large extent to the people above him. In order for the prosecutor to have given him such a sweet plea deal, which is a charge of, of lying to uh, the FBI, which with his cooperation could result in probation. No, no jail time. No jail time. It is likely that he has important information to give the prosecutor. So we, uh, prosecutors do not look for people below the person they're dealing with. They're going up the food chain. And since General Flynn only answered to one person, President Trump, it is presumed that General Flynn was, is currently testifying against President Trump. Otherwise, uh, Robert Mueller would not have given him the plea deal he gave him. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. I have a feeling we're going to need to bring you back in the next six months to cover this territory in greater deal. This has been Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Thank you so much, Alan W. Steinhorn, for appearing today. Thank you, Bob.